It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Frazier has a plan to remake Citigroup while tormenting rivals. The first woman to lead a top U.S. bank is betting on the wealth business, cutting back global branches, and going slow on the return to offices. By Jennifer Serene. One of Citigroup Inc.'s more serendipitous real estate investments turned out to be the roof deck it built into its newly renovated downtown New York headquarters. With sweeping views of the Hudson River, it's a thoroughly ventilated space that investment bankers and traders can slip away to for some socializing or after-hours cocktails. Not a bad perk for those back in the office in the midst of the lingering pandemic. Kicking back at a patio table, Jane Frazier, Citigroup's newly installed chief executive officer, is discussing one of her first wins on the job. Early in the summer, She broke with a slew of rival bank CEOs who were cajoling workers back to their old desks just as the Delta variant of COVID-19 was spreading, leading to infections that eventually forced them to revise their plans yet again. She's taken a more relaxed approach, mostly letting employees decide when they want to return. This may sound warm and fuzzy, but it's also a weapon for recruiting and retaining talent. Her team has been fielding inquiries recently from executives looking to defect from rivals, including J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and Goldman Sachs. I want to crush the competition, Frazier says, sipping her coffee. The first woman CEO of a top U.S. bank makes it easy to forget she's assumed one of the toughest jobs in global finance right now. Citigroup stock price is languishing below the levels it notched just a bit over three years ago, even as some of its U.S. competitor shares sit near record highs. The Scotland-born 54-year-old says she has a plan to reshape the bank, starting with its wealth management and global consumer businesses. Frazier is trying to turn around the original banking behemoth one investor thinks has grown too complicated with the wrong mix of businesses and a lot of baggage. Although it has roots going back 210 years, the modern Citigroup was bolted together in the 1990s by Sanford Sandy Weil, who persuaded Congress to repeal the Depression-era law that had separated federally insured deposit-taking banks from riskier Wall Street businesses. Then, in true Titanic fashion, Citigroup showed why that's dangerous. Slammed by losses tied to bad mortgages and other distress holdings in 2008, it required more U.S. taxpayer support than any other bank in the financial crisis. In 2009, its stock price dipped below $1. 
Even now, the shares trade 86% lower than 15 years ago. Of the six major Wall Street banks, Citigroup is the only one trading for less than the net value of its assets per share, a common measure of a bank's worth. Even so, it's a formidable player. It operates in more than 160 countries, moves $4 trillion in payments a day, and houses the world's largest credit card issuer. Regulators deem it one of the three most systemically important banks on the planet. So it's not only investors who have a stake in Fraser getting Citigroup's house in order. Citigroup's problem is that it doesn't generate profits commensurate with its size. Frazier's predecessors had to spend much of the decade after the crisis whittling down an $800 billion pile of bad and unwanted assets. By the late 2010s, Citigroup was slowly but surely catching up with its rivals in profitability, says Chris Katowski, an analyst at Oppenheimer & Company. Then, COVID just knocked them back to square one again. The bank's credit card business has hindered results for a counterintuitive reason. Thanks to government efforts to keep the economy alive, people were able to pay down balances even as lockdowns caused them to spend less. Citigroup also has a smaller branch network than J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, so it struggled to keep up as they soaked up deposits from consumers. Wall Street's gold standard for measuring how much a bank earns with every shareholder dollar, known as return on tangible common equity, was a mere 6.9% at Citigroup last year. J.P. Morgan achieved 14%. The number one thing shareholders want to see, according to Frazier, is closing the return gap with our peers and focusing more on higher returning businesses. She has little room for error. The bank is in the midst of a years-long campaign to shore up its internal systems and data programs that will end up costing it billions. Last year, the Office of the Controller of the Currency and the Federal Reserve singled out Citigroup for long-standing failures in its risk management and controls. In addition to fining the bank $400 million, they ordered it to take steps to fix the problems. The bank also has to seek approval from the OCC before making any acquisitions. Citigroup's dysfunction was on full display last year when employees at the bank mistakenly sent almost a billion dollars to Revlon Inc. creditors, an error that wasn't cited by the regulators but has resulted in a lengthy and embarrassing public court battle to recover the funds. Like every CEO right now, Frazier also has to deal with the more immediate challenge of managing a totally disrupted workplace. The first inkling that Frazier might do that differently than other Wall Street bosses came just days after she took the job in March, when she promised that most of the bank staff would be able to work from home at least two days a week on a permanent basis. The news sent shockwaves through Wall Street. J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon and Goldman Sachs' David Solomon had been turning up the volume on their desire to see all their workers return. Frazier didn't stop there. She's also letting employees rewrite their schedules. 
It's fine, she says, if people want to knock off early to pick up their kids from school and log on in the evening to finish their work. Maybe see your kids or avoid a particular time of commuting that's salacious, she says. That's a huge shift for Wall Street, known for requiring 100-hour work weeks of its junior bankers and boisterous trading floors that have historically had mostly male staff. Citigroup is essentially embarking on the industry's first case study to see whether a completely different approach will work for everybody. The number of dads that came up and said, it's so neat because I can work from home and therefore I can get to the kids' school play. The bank is closely monitoring how people respond, and so far there's no sign they're slacking off. You can see from the output, Frazier says, it's refreshing because you get rid of some old anachronistic cultures or ways of doing things, and you unleash this energy. One place Citigroup hopes to see some new energy is in its wealth management business. Citigroup's sale after the financial crisis of its Smith Barney brokerage to Morgan Stanley marked one of Wall Street's most herald transformations for the buyer. It's unfortunate they had to sell Smith Barney, says Katowski. The deal launched rival Morgan Stanley's ambitious expansion into wealth management and advice for affluent individuals, giving it a stream of steady revenue and sending its stocks soaring. Its recent purchase of Eaton Vance Corporation for its asset management business is an attempt to bolster that bet. Citigroup hamstrung by the OCC's order limiting its ability to make deals, is in no position to try to mimic that move. But as a number of global banks pursue versions of Morgan Stanley's strategy, Frazier says she thinks they're actually making a mistake. Their idea is to marry an asset management unit that cranks out products to a fleet of brokers or financial advisors who help sell them to clients. The problem, says Frazier, is that the industry is on a verge of sweeping changes. A lot of the U.S. model is very broker-driven, which I think is going to get obliterated in the years ahead, Frazier says. Silicon Valley startups and banks alike have been rolling out virtually free trading and automated investing platforms. That's going to make it easier for people to sift through and select their investment products. At the same time, successful teams of brokers have been defecting from their banks. Citigroup wants to position itself as a more objective counselor. Because we don't have an asset manager, we're very clear that we're there to serve our clients, she says. In her final months as the company's president, just before rising to CEO, Frazier merged Citigroup's wealth unit for retirement savers with its private bank for the ultra-rich. The combined division will lean on a pipeline of customers, including those from Citigroup's commercial bank, the unit that caters to mid-sized businesses. The thinking? Help entrepreneurs build their companies, then work with them on tending their wealth. Maybe help them with buying up competitors, issuing bonds, or raising cash along the way. Uber and Airbnb started off in our commercial bank in the U.S. as a client, 
The unicorns in Latin America and Asia started off in our commercial bank as a client, Frazier says, referring to private companies valued at more than a billion dollars. We're helping those companies create that wealth in the company, and then we help the owner. Some in the U.S. banking industry might snicker. Citigroup's wealth management business isn't nearly the biggest in its home market, but it ranks number three in Asia. If international reach is one of Citigroup's advantages in wealth management, in the eyes of investors, it presents other problems. They have banking operations around the globe, and I think that has put a lot of pressure on efficiency, says Jim Shanahan, an analyst at Edward Jones. It's difficult to run global banking operations as efficiently as it would be to run a domestic-only retail banking strategy. That critique strikes at the heart of Citigroup's historic identity. A sit-down with the bank's leaders a decade ago would have meant listening a lot to glowing descriptions of its global might. Name just about any country, and no other foreign bank got there first or has been there longer than CEO Vikram Pandit boasted to shareholders in 2011. Frazier has spent much of her career selling off pieces of Citigroup's global empire, first while overseeing operations in Latin America and now as its CEO. Currently up for bid, consumer banking operations in a dozen markets across Asia and Europe that failed to turn a profit last year. Her team is going to be clinical and dispassionate when we're looking at things, she says, We make sure that we're going to be simpler. Time and again, Citigroup has set targets for both cutting costs and improving results and missed them. In 2008, the company told investors it would seek to improve its efficiency ratio, a measure of how much it spends to produce a dollar of revenue by bringing it down to 58%. It ended the first half of this year above that 13-year-old target. Frazier has given herself and her deputies a tight deadline to show investors that things will improve. The bank recently announced it will host an Investor Day in March, its first in almost five years. Investor Days are a chance, separate from regular quarterly earnings announcements, for companies to talk to major shareholders and make the case for their businesses. Frazier, who cut her teeth as a McKinsey & Company consultant, telling other banks what they should do, will be in her element. Investor Day is likely to be McKinsey on steroids, predicts Mike Mayo, an analyst at Wells Fargo and a longtime critic of Citigroup. There's no question in my mind that it's going to be crisp with strategic plans with milestones. But Mayo wants Frazier to go even further in remaking the bank. What she's done so far is more like elective outpatient procedures, he says. They need some more serious surgery to reconfigure City for the future. For instance, Mayo wants Frazier to focus on the firm's sprawling treasury and trade solutions business, which moves money for many of the world's largest corporations. In an October 11th note to clients, he also criticized a bonus program that could reward three of Frazier's top lieutenants, the bank's chief financial officer, the head of institutional clients group, 
and the head of enterprise operations and technology, millions of dollars each for hitting undisclosed stock targets and goals for carrying out the bank's transformation plan. The awards may amount to extra pay to execs for just doing their job, Mayo wrote. Frazier seems to have little trouble attracting talent to the bank. In recent months, she's added, J.P. Morgan's Rob Casper is chair of the bank's data transformation and plucked Goldman Sachs' Erica Irish Brown to lead diversity and inclusion efforts. Brent McIntosh, a former Department of Treasury official, will soon join as general counsel and corporate secretary, while the investment bank has added a slew of new talent, including J.P. Morgan's Brian Truesdale, Goldman's Chuck Adams, and Credit Suisse's Duran Shaw. She's come with a breath of fresh air, says Mindy Lubber, CEO of the nonprofit series, which campaigns for sustainable investment. She is open to looking at the new world. Even amid the pandemic, Frazier has spent much of this summer traveling, holding hundreds of meetings with employees, investors, government officials, and clients. In recent weeks, she jetted to Kenya, Mexico, the United Kingdom, and Germany, among other places. Now, she says, the listening tour is over. We're going to craft our own path, she says, to be as relevant in the decades ahead as we have been globally in the past. And we're willing to be bold to do that. Whether that happens at the desk, over Zoom, or on the roof doesn't matter so much. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.